Welcome to the Token Trans Podcast, where two token trans guys talk life, love, and getting high. Grab a J and join us. The following episode might contain discussions of things that might make some uncomfortable. We do not condone the consumption of illicit activities with anyone under the age of 21. Well, today we are covering the topic of mental health. Uh, obviously, super important to talk about these things, but they can be heavy. So if you're not in a good space today, or if it's just like not feeling the heaviness, maybe you're already heavy today, maybe you should slip, skip over to another episode. Yeah, listen to the relationships one. That one's funnier. <laughs> yeah, the one right before this one, relationships. That one will yeah. make sense. But sometimes you need to hear about that mental health, so we're going to break it down. We're going to tell you guys our experiences with it and uh oh boy and do some do some sharing time fun stuff yes so i'm uh i had been coming into these episodes really prepared this one i'm not prepared at all so (laughs) you said you've been talking about this for a while you've been sharing yeah no i got the man i got the i could chapters one through 17 memorized you know absolutely got that got that in there that's good though and we want to share that with you guys so that you guys can learn from our experiences because it may shave some heartbreak off of your your life maybe you never know so god willing um you what god willing god willing hopefully maybe something maybe a little something aaron how's your mental health my existing mental health yeah my my existing mental health is pretty good it's pretty good. good I uh I wanted to start today's episode off with my first experience with mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was probably nine years old. Oh wow! Actually, no, I was probably I'm sorry, I was probably six years old. My nana had gone into the the hospital, and that was the first time she had ever gone into the hospital. So I was super worried about her. And my nana, my great grandma at the time, was breaking it down to me that like my nana was in this, you know, in the hospital, and that her brain was misfiring that like her the way that her thoughts were going through her brain you know normally people they go like this and hers were missing every other couple one and her they were I guess they were synapses I think they're called yeah don't quote me on that but um so she was explaining this to me and she told me that it was called a bi and you know called the bipolar disease so I'm like okay so she's bipolar all right so we go in that she she takes me in there because I really wanted to visit with her, but I had to wait till the right days and times, of course, because it was a mental health facility. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to go in there and my, I snuck in a rose. So like normally when you go on a mental health facility, you're not supposed to bring anything, but I had snuck her a little rose. And apparently I, I handed it to her and I told her, Grammy told me that you have the polar bear disease. Because I thought it was bipolar. And as my little self, as a kid, that's how I, I, I just remembered, oh, yeah, polar, like polar bear. Oh, so my I, God. I thought she had a polar bear disease and I snuck her her little rose. And it was so like cute. the cutest thing ever. That's so cute. <laughs> that's, yeah. So that was my first like introduction to it. My Nana had been off of her medication and I had some cool memories with her before, you know, some like, I mean, cool now, like, you know, you make it the best possible, but I definitely could tell a difference with her off her medicine and on her medicine even at a young age mm-hmm. so that kind of was the basis for for my first introduction to what how your that your brain could be you know mishap mishapping as well right like that something like that could be a, a disease basically yeah. yeah yeah um what was your what was your first experience my first experience was my mother um 
so I mean, we're, we're, I'm just gonna talk about it because it's what happened. I mean, for real. Um, I was honesty first. I was pretty severely abused by my mother, um, physically, uh, mentally, verbally, um, and my my whole life. Um, without getting into very specific things, I mean, she beat the shit out of me constantly. <laughs> um. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's uncomfortable and that's what you do. Um, but where's my lighter? Oh, that's how you, uh, that's how you process sometimes. And that's totally yeah. normal. Yeah. Um, you, I just want to preface all this by saying like, now I'm good. Right. I've, yeah. How is your mental health now? <laughs> I should have started with that. My mental health now is fantastic. I've been the most stable and regulated I have ever been in my entire life. And I am baseline happy where as before, I would have told you that I was baseline suicidal. <laughs> like on a daily basis, like Thank one you. little thing could have pushed me over the edge, you know, on any given day. And um, that's not the case anymore. Thank goodness. But uh, yeah. so growing up with an abusive mother uh, doesn't um, give you the foundation that you need for uh, good mental health. <laughs> And my mother was very abusive for a lot of reasons, but um, one of the explanations that we have is that she was diagnosed bipolar. Um, there was a very big difference between my mother medicated and my mother unmedicated. Um, she would do, she would do that thing that abusers do, where she would, you know, beat the shit out of me, and then I, I, I still have this doll. Um, this like stuffed baby doll from when I was a kid. I still sleep with her every night. It's really embarrassing, but um, I still do. <laughs> She's like my security uh -oh. blanket. I, you know, I just, whatever. She makes me feel better. I'm a 30 year old man that sleeps with a baby doll. Whatever, sue me. <laughs> deal, um, deal with it. So one of the things that my mom would do to like really get at me was to take my baby away. And I like, I needed to sleep. I needed her to sleep. So she would take her away and like hide her in her room for like weeks. And then I would, when she was in the bathroom or something, I would, I would know where she was at in my mother's room. I would sneak in and like just rub her hair or something or give her a hug and then put her back before I left. And then when my mom was feeling guilty about how she just treated me, she would say, okay, go get your baby, you know? And like, that was like, she never said sorry, but that was like her saying sorry you know yeah like go get your baby come out here watch tv with me and it was really it was yeah. really scary to sit on a couch and watch tv with my mother that just fucking shoved my head in the oven door and slammed it shut 25 times just because i didn't rinse the kool-aid out of the bottom of the stainless steel sink which was a thing that happened <laughs> um pretty ridiculous so anyway uh bipolar disorder is something that's passed down um, from mothers so that was something that we thought that I had and that I was um, you know it made sense for the doctors but uh, turns out it was a misdiagnosis of autism and since I've had that diagnosis I've had a lot a lot better of an understanding about myself um, as opposed to like me being bipolar it didn't really make sense to me and like my, my swings would only happen when I was like overstimulated or understimulated. 
mm. you know, I was, um, it wasn't really like a mood thing. It was like a overstimulation thing, but. Stimulation. Right. We didn't, we didn't see that um, because in AFAB people, things present themselves differently and AFAB people get misdiagnosed and overlooked for autism diagnosis diagnoses all the time. So um, that took a while for me to figure out. I actually didn't figure out I was autistic till uh, like this year. Um, wow. Yeah, so. Um, Before that you thought you were bipolar? Yes. Um, I had like actually a lot of comorbid diagnoses. Um, I was diagnosed bipolar. I was also diagnosed borderline personality disorder. Um, and they tried to diagnose me with schizophrenia early, like when I was like 12 years old, because I told, you know, I was, I was just a kid. I was like 12 years old. And um, I don't even know how it happened, but I had said something about like my inner monologue to like my guidance counselor at school or something. Yeah. And they took it as like, oh, uh, this kid is hearing voices in voices, their head. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's just like, it's the voice that's in my head. It's not like voices in my head, you know? Yes, it's the, <laughs> yeah, I see. Right. It's the head. voice that's in your head. And like, it's, you know, everybody has yeah. a voice in their head. <laughs> right. For real. Um, and so, th right. Thankfully, yeah. I didn't get it. Th that isn't to say that um, people with schizophrenia are like bad or like that's like a bad diagnosis to have or something i'm just glad that i didn't have another diagnosis on top of everything else that wasn't was yours yeah. right exactly <laughs> i wasn't yeah. so um after that i had uh suicidal ideation presented itself in me rather early because of um the way my mother treated me and uh she was a single parent um, and I was her only child. So right. it was just me and her all the time. There was no, my only safety was my grandmother. I would go over to her house every weekend that I was allowed to. And that was another thing my mother took away from me when she wanted to be mean was I couldn't see my grandmother because yes. that was my only safe space. And ever since I was little, like the whole family knew what my mother was doing to me, but it was like, nobody could do anything. Um, which, you know, kind of sucked, uh, but whatever, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm still, uh, healing my inner child about the betrayal that I feel, um, yeah, growing up with that. I think many of us are, I think many of us are, so yeah, not alone in that. Yeah. Um, it, it just sucked as a, as a kid, you know, you're supposed to trust the adults around you and I couldn't trust any of the adults around me because all of the adults around me knew what was happening to me as a defenseless child, you know. Um, yeah. And, not doing anything. All right, not doing anything about it. Um, so my grandmother and I like had this deal like ever since I was little that as soon as I turned 18, as soon as I turned 18, she was coming to scoop me up and I was living with her. She was going to take me away from that. And I wasn't going to deal with it anymore. And there was nothing she could do because I was 18. And that's exactly well, the what number. we did. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly what, what we did. In the yes. middle of the night, my mom was at work. She was working overnight. My grandmother, I called my grandmother and I was like, are we doing this? Or was that just all talk? <laughs> right. She was like, I'm on my way. Pack your shit. I'm on my way. 
And so she scooped me up and then she went to go to my mom's work to like tell her that way when she comes home, her kid isn't missing and she's like freaking the fuck out. Yeah. So she um, was totally pissed. (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah. Um, But I'm skipping ahead. (laughs) No, I got you. I got you. (laughs) So let's 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 go back to you and go back to me yeah yeah yeah. all right all right well after the polar bear yeah uh diagnosis for nana Mm -hmm. um i started to realize that people's brains were not the same they weren't they uh they didn't operate the same way and i was very quickly understood why um why my why my mother and why my parents were making these decisions that were just awful, just awful decisions. We were, um, you know, we were homeless for a time. You know, my, my, she was with like multiple men who were abusive and um, just, just awful things. And I was thinking like, how, how does this, how is she able to like reason these things or like make these things like go away in her brain? And that's when I really started to understood, understand that my mom was also mentally ill. I didn't, my mom was not, not medicated, not di- like barely diagnosed as like what my Nana knew as her as a teenager, but like beyond that, nothing. Um, and so she wasn't medicated. She wouldn't, you know, wasn't no therapy or anything like that. So I was able to understand that, okay, she's, she's also mentally ill. And like my Nana was able to confirm that, you know, yes, sweetie, like, you know, she does struggle with some mental illnesses. Um, so that kind of gave me a little clarity as a child. I was like, it kind of gave me an ex- an explanation at least like why she was she would put up with so much and like let us see so much and that whole situation so um fast forward to when i was 16 17 i started uh dealing with that same inner monologue issue uh i was feeling so much anxiety and stress in high school um i was making a lot of erratic decisions i was all over the place um, and I knew I was all over the place and I knew these erratic decisions were affecting more people than just me, like emotionally, like very serious implications. And um, so I had the guilt that I was dealing with with that as well. And these voices and I ended up just telling my dad, like, I'm staying home from school today. I, I'm, I'm, I like, I, this voice, I did the same thing. I confided in him about my voice that I was right. hearing in my head and how, how racing it was and how fast it was and how, how it always came up with the like worst things first. And he, you know, he let me stay home from school that day and I hid out, like hid out in my room and I was just thinking. And um, I ended up going to a psychiatrist and um, trying uh, medication. Um, at the time it was S citalopram uh, and I reacted horrible to it. I, I started to have um, like, started getting really close to um suicidal thoughts and i immediately was like this is awful not for me i stopped it stopped going um you know to the doctor and just was like medicine is like a no-go that was awful i'm never doing that again Mm -hmm. um and i stayed that way from junior year probably till 2016 so 2012 to 2016 um so i was in my maturing age you know, I, I was very, I, I, uh, I distracted myself a lot from those things and tried other ways to self-medicate that, you know, I drank for a while. Um, now it's kind of funny because I can't drink at all, but I did drink <laughs> for a while. 
um, every single night, you know, I was making those erratic decisions for my self pleasure and not thinking about other people. And just kind of that was my reaction to my non medicated self that I didn't mm -hmm. know that that's what was wrong with me. The mm -hmm. non medication I wasn't really sure I knew that these decisions were awful. And I was literally just my inner child was just driving, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I wrote it off till till 2016. And uh, yeah, and that's when I shifted gears but i'm gonna sh light, shift gears and let okay. you all right my turn stage. okay take the so like i said pause, I, pause. I i'm like and i i don't want to like just slip this in like because my voice is getting a little shaky so i want to let you guys you people know that like it's not always easy for us to make this content like we may be shirtless we may be joking around uh but like we physically feel these things too and we are mm -hmm. we are right there with you guys in a lot of ways right we get we get a lot of like uh comments like i wish i wish i had what you had i wish i was confident like you like i wish this i wish that i wish i could i wish i was brave enough to just just walk outside like that or whatever and like yeah or swim. me too <laughs> yeah. like me fucking too because i sweat bullets sometimes before i walk out in some of my outfits like i'm like someone's gonna say the wrong thing and i'm gonna get punched and I'm going to have to deal with whatever dental work and that's going to be expensive. And then like, uh, I can't take pictures of myself and my teeth are missing. And like, it's oh just like, God. and then I like yeah. dwell on that all because I wanted to wear a fucking open button up. Now I have like th thousands of dollars of dental work or something or right. hospital and bills. That sure. Yeah. No, right. You should <laughs> not like, worry about that stuff. Yeah. But you know, we do. And and we also worry about those things. Yes, exactly. So um, like I said earlier, suicidal ideation kind of presented itself early uh, in the, we had talked before in the religion episode, how like during this time with my abuse, I kind of like tried, I was trying everything to find answers. Like why the fuck is my mom, like my mommy, you know, the one person, the person that I love the most in the entire whole fucking world, the person that's supposed to be, I mean, it's just me and her. There's no dad. There's no siblings. <laughs> it's just me and her. Why doesn't she love me enough to not hurt me? And I'm the only one. Right. I'm the only one. What am I doing so wrong to make her so mad that she wants to hurt me? You know, I try. I did everything. I did everything I could. And um, feeling very defeated and not having any answers and being 12 and seeing how many years ahead of me until I turned 18 that I was even had any kind of hope of any kind of relief I didn't want to live anymore and I was feeling really comforted by the thought of just letting it all go and it was kind of an easy thought for me because the only person that was supposed to love me the most was the person that was hurting me the most and there's no way that they would you know, they would care if I died. My, my mom, it would probably be better. I don't think she even wanted me, <laughs> you know? Um, so uh, I tried and I failed. And um, my mom took me to uh, Dover Behavioral Hospital to get uh, examined. And um, that was when they tried to tell me I had schizophrenia. And my mom was like, my kid doesn't have schizophrenia. 
right. and then we left um but i didn't really uh see any counselors or anything like that so then i went to middle school um and i was bullied a lot in middle school and my mom was always of the school of thought because her mother was of the school of thought if if i find out someone's hitting you and you're not hitting them back when you come home i'm whooping your ass you know it's like who are you more scared of that bully or me right and i get it it's kind of a ploy to try to get me to stand up for myself and defend myself but <laughs> But I wasn't a fighter, obviously. You beat the fight out of me. I I couldn't, I can't fight back because if I fight back, I get beat more. You know, like you never taught me to fight back. You just taught me to cover my ears and cover my face. Like that's it. (laughs) You know, so um I didn't tell anybody that I was getting bullied. I just took it, um, which wasn't helpful. And um I uh I was getting I was getting there again and so I was like you know I need to talk to somebody if it, like I I want to die but I don't want to want to die you know and I need to talk to somebody who isn't going to tell my mom and I went to my school counselor and um I was like I, I need to talk, but I don't, my mom can't find out. And she, you know, she did something. I under, as an adult now, I understand that she had to do something. She had to say something. She couldn't not. A child went up to her and said, I want to kill myself. She can't, as a guidance counselor, she couldn't have not called the cops and my mother, you know? Like, I get it. But also, a freaking 14 year old suicidal kid does not. <laughs> I just told you why I want to kill myself and it's because of my mother. And like, I get you it. You called her. Right. And you called her. Right. And, yeah. and now, and my mother is very much appearances. So now she's a single mother and like the cops being called because her kid wants to kill herself. And now everybody knows it's because of her or something like that. So she's oh, livid with me. And what does she do when I get home? Beats the fuck out of me. So like, thanks. Oh, <laughs> um okay. Yeah. So uh, a lot of my childhood is a blur. I don't really remember much after middle school. Um, I don't think I ever went to therapy while I was a kid. Uh, I remember going to Dover Behavioral. Okay, so when I was, I think probably the next thing I remember Man, PTSD is a son of a bitch. I really can't remember. I can't remember. And sometimes <laughs> your brain does it for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Oh. Um, yeah. There, there are things that I can, there was something, okay, I'm not going to get into it, but like I've recovered memories that I had not remembered over a long time. And I was just sitting there. We were actually, we were just driving. I was like, holy shit. I just Whoa. remembered something awful that happened to me when I was six years old. It's like a uh, spell. Right, like that's fucking great. <laughs> awesome. I don't know why I just remember that, but that sucked. Great so, right. Um, so I don't I don't remember a lot of my childhood. I remember I got the shit beat out of me. I remember I tried to kill myself. Uh, and then I remember I did oh, 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 okay. Um, when the cops were called, you know, 
they were like, I, I told my school counselors because my mom's beating the fuck out of me. I want to die. <laughs> and um, so when she called the cops, you know, CPS, uh, Child Protective Services got involved. And oh boy, my mom was pissed, 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 pissed. And so they were like, so while this investigation is being done, you can't be with your mom. Can you live with somebody else for the time being? So I lived with my aunt while the investigation was being done. I was, Aaron, I don't know. your grandma. I was, a, I was assumed grandma. Well, it was because I was also going to school and oh. Mina couldn't really, I called my grandma Mina. Um, Mina couldn't take me to and from school, really. Okay. Uh, she lived She lived too far away. Gotcha. So um, from, from my school district. So my aunt was taking me. Um, she had her, uh, her son, my cousin Dylan was a baby at the time. Um, so I slept on the fold-out couch downstairs and she took me to and from school you know and um she was talking about trying to take custody of me um and i don't know why i wasn't able to do that i don't know what happened all i know is that from what my aunt told me that she tried to take custody of me and apparently it didn't work out so um yeah there's a lot of legalities yeah involved and as that don't seem right yeah she had already had a kid and she was married to i mean her they've been divorced since but um at the time she was married to her husband at the time and they had just had their kid their first kid together um and they lived in a townhouse you know they it was seemingly a much better situation for a child than the situation i was currently in but uh, we went to court for it. You know, there's that investigation. And then we went to court for it. And we stood before a judge. And Aaron, the stress that I was under as a fucking kid, it was, and I, I firmly believe that this is why I have this condition that I have now, the uh, chronic idiopathic urticaria, and why stress affects my, like manifests on my body physically because of the fucking intense stress i was oh my god i can't even i don't like my heart was palpitating like i was standing there talking to the judge like literally shivering my teeth were chattering i was terrified i i can't even imagine ever being that afraid and that stressed out as a 30 year old man i can't even tell you a situation where i would even be that afraid I wouldn't even be that afraid if somebody came in the door right now and held a gun to my face. I couldn't even be that afraid. Right. I can't, like, there's no words in the English language to describe to you the fear of a 14-year-old right. standing yeah, as a kid. in a courtroom next to a lawyer and my mother's on the other side with another lawyer and no, this judge is and this yeah. judge is like, can you tell me what happened? And I'm literally like, I can't speak. I'm stuttering. I can't fucking speak because I'm so scared. And yeah. The judge was like, okay, well, there's no bruises. There's no marks. You seem like a normal kid, so we're going to send you back to your mom. Like, fuck me. Fuck everything I said. I must have been lying. Everyone in my family must have been lying because they also questioned my aunt and they also questioned my grandma. And they both know, and I know they both wouldn't have lied, you yeah. know, because they were both very much, you're going to, like, things are weird and confusing, but you're going to, you know, right. we're trying. We're right. trying. That yeah. was the general consensus. Right. My grandma oh, and my yeah. aunt, right, where they were yeah. trying. And that seemed like the time it was going to happen. And right. it didn't. And, and it didn't. I went back to my mother. 
don't remember anything that happened after that. Pretty sure I got the shit beat out of me. So, fast forward, not too much. <coughs> One sec. So, not too much ahead of that. And um, see, PTSD is funny because I'll, for, I'll forget everything about my childhood, but I'll remember like two things uh, really specifically, like so specifically, I could tell you what, what the temperature was like, right? Yeah. 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 So um, I got bad grades and um, my mom had said that she was going to kill me if I brought my report card home and there was any Fs on it. She said the words, I'm going to kill you if I see any Fs on that report card. And so I packed a fucking bag with my piggy bank and some Lunchables and I ran away. And I knew how to get to Mina's house. Like I knew, I knew the way there. It was far away. It was a half hour drive, but I knew how to get there. Yeah. And, but the only way I knew how to get there was the driving way. And the driving way took you on to like an on-ramp on the highway. Right. And there was no, right. like I couldn't walk. Right. There's a sign that said, I got to the on-ramp. And there was a sign that said, uh, no pedestrians. So I just turned around and just walked. I don't know. I was just walking. Hey. And then um, my neighbor, uh, we live next to this uh, Spanish woman and her kid. And um, I would, she, her kid was a lot younger than me, so we didn't really play. But like I saw, I, I knew who she was. I knew she was my neighbor. Um, so she found me and was like, get in the car. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I did, I got in the car and my neighbor, my neighbor drove me back there. The police were already there. They were already looking for me. And um, so they took me, I got back to the apartment, you know, one of the police officers took me to my room and sat me on my bed and was like, so why'd you run away? You know, and a police officer talking to a kid that just ran away. Their uh, tone is very like, like he's like, He's annoyed, <laughs> right. you know, he's not concerned about my safety. He's annoyed that he was called for a stupid little runaway kid. Um, so he asked why I ran away. And I said, my mom said that she was going to kill me if I brought home bad grades and my grades were bad. And he said, do you really think your mom's going to kill you? And I said, yes. Yeah, I really do. I really do think that she would have. I do, truly. <laughs> As far as I know, like me as an adult now, I don't think my mother would have murdered me. I think I would have got my ass beat like I always did. She never murdered me. <laughs> you know, she never attempted to kill me. But she did attempt to fucking beat the shit out of me. And when she said that she was going to kill me, I thought that great harm was going to, you know, encounter me. And so I ran away. I tried to get to my grandmother's because that was the only safe place I could go. And how old um, were you at this point? I was like 14. All right. 13, 14. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty young. Yeah. And um, my piggy bank broke in my backpack while I was walking. I remember that happening. Yeah. And, um, so I was in the I was in my bedroom with the police officer and he was like, Do you really think your mother was gonna kill you? And I was like, Yeah. And he said, Well, how about does your bedroom door have a lock on it? And I was like, Yeah. And he was like, How about you lock your bedroom door? And I was like, You really like you don't understand. 
you're not understanding. You think because if I locked my bedroom stop? door, <laughs> like you think what would happen? <laughs> what would happen is that my mother would break down the door and then she would beat me in the head with whatever she just broke down the door with. And then I would not have a door. <laughs> That's what would happen if I locked the door. <laughs> um, and then they just left. That was it. Despite the fact that there was already a case that had been opened up against her for child abuse before. And I ran away and told them, despite all that, you know, just fuck me. <laughs> That's it. They just left. So, um, I have PTSD <laughs> yeah. and um, it took a very long time, but uh, I, I have done a lot, a lot of healing. I, as an adult went to, I made the decision to take matters into my own hands um, and go to therapy. I seeked out therapy that was going to be good for me. And I, um, I started taking cognitive behavioral therapy, which I cannot recommend enough. It was wonderful. It helped me understand a Remind lot. Remind me what the therapy, what, um, the, what the technique is on that one again. Cognitive behavioral therapy. It's like, um, a very hands-on therapy, um, you, at least for me, I was taught a lot about like the PTSD brain and how it worked and how I can help reroute my brain processes mm -hmm. to be more healthy. Right. Like for yeah. instance, um, some of you might know that I just cry all the time, cry, at the drop of the hat, I'll cry. If you're too nice to me, I'll cry. If you yell at me, I'll cry. If you put math in front of me, cry. Cry, cry, cry. You say math? Yeah, if you put math in front of me, I will cry. <laughs> so <should I laughs> Fucking Tim, Tim and I, all of Tim's friends are smart. They're all like engineers yeah. or some shit. So we were playing Sushi Go <laughs> with them. And like at the end, you have to count up all your points. Yeah. And you just have to add up your points. And I'm yeah. adding up, I'm adding up. So like Tim and his friend are just like, Oh yeah, 17 <laughs> plus 17 plus 85. That's blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh yeah, blah, 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 blah. and they're just not even counting on their fingers or anything. And I'm like, 12, 13, 14, No cries all the time. Oh my god, I just cried. I'm just like I cry all the time. So I learned that I cry all of the time because in a PTSD brain, okay, so like in a regular brain, in a in a neurotypical brain, um, a person will see a stimulus and then that signal will go to your hippocampus for processing. Your brain will process the stimulus and then you will react. Mm -hmm. On a PTSD brain, the hippocampus is physically much smaller, like super small. So instead of having some time to process the stimulus that you just had and then react i just go straight to react i can't process the stimulus so it ends up just manifesting as crying even though i it's not something to cry about <laughs> um so it's not it's it's literally nothing i can help because it's just the size of my that part of my brain how your brain um, is wired yeah right 
And there are exercises you can do to help retrain the neural pathways in your brain because we did learn that neurogenesis is possible for a while we didn't know that neurogenesis was something that could happen but since we learned that we can actually rewire those pathways that's what cognitive re- behavioral therapy does that's right. it you basically get homework that you have to do every day every time you notice something that happens you have to do like there were it was called the abcs and it was basically like like if i spilled anything i would freak out mm-hmm. Um, because that was, that was something that triggered my mother to beat me. So right. I would get triggered by it. Um, so whenever I spilled something, it was like, I would always freak out even like not in my mother's presence, you know, like just right. as an adult, that was just something I carried with me, uh, with my PTSD. And, um, so that was one of the things I had to do my ABCs about. And that was, it was like, at first you do it, you write it down in your journal every time, but the point is that you're supposed to do it so much that eventually it becomes such a habit you no longer need to write it because you're doing it in your head. Mm-hmm. But um, the point is that you have to make it a habit. So you have to write it down every time you do it. So it's like um, A is the triggering event or stimulus. Um, B is uh, your thoughts, the, the problematic thoughts or feelings that are brought upon by A and C is the positive replacement thought for B. Right. Um, and it can't, you can't leave a blank and you can't get anybody else's help. It has to come from you. Right. So like I spilled something, A, fuck, like this is, it's not going to get clean. I just made this big giant mess. Um, that I'm just, I just start crying and I get overwhelmed and overstimulated and I can't clean it up. Um, so what are the thoughts and feelings that get from that? I just kind of just said that. Um, what's a positive What's the positive thought? I'm just going to grab some paper towels. I'll clean up the mess. In under five minutes, I'll throw it away and it'll be like, it never happened and I can sit down and relax. It's not that big of a deal. And as much as I, I, as long as I do that every time, then I will create that neural pathway that no longer goes to freak out with spilling and instead goes to calmly cleaning it. Right. And it's going to be okay. And I've gotten there. I no longer freak out with spills like I used to, which is like, that's so good. It's a big milestone for me. I still cry, (laughs) but um, I don't freak out like I did. And look, I'm crying right now. I'm crying right now just because I'm not even. (laughs) Yeah. Just because we're talking about it, you know? So um, there's lots of ways to be a person and being (laughs) a functioning person isn't easy especially when you're raised by people who aren't functioning people (laughs) um, who maybe shouldn't be having kids but you know you're here uh everybody's doing their best and now you're the result of it and um I think that everybody just needs to go to therapy I think parents do things that they don't mean to do and that it manifests onto their children in ways that they don't mean to and you know it's it's hard to get help when you don't understand what's happening and that's what therapists are there for and I'm so I didn't even talk about my night when I turned 19 it's your turn and then we'll talk about when I turned 19 <laughs> yeah I was thinking and then I was I was just thinking I was like honestly I was coming into this episode and I'll be honest I completely forgot that PTSD is a considered a mental illness so then 
when you started talking about, and you mentioned PTSD, I was like, okay, I, this is okay. That I forgot <laughs> to include that. So I want to, I, I guess we should probably go into that. Um, we may have to cover the rest of our mental illness in another episode, but I do want, for me anyways, but I do want to cover PTSD because that is, I do believe that that is a framework for when you turn 18 and when you are able to be, take your own life and your own decisions into your hands, you are left with some pieces that don't make sense. And you're left with a lot of broken pieces and mm -hmm. there's not, there's no manual to put those things back together uh, that, that is, is easy and it's, and that you can do alone, that you right. can often do alone. Uh, so, so yeah, so I definitely think that PTSD, um, well, that was my first, uh, as an adult, my first thing that I faced. Um, I got therapy after, um, after my experience with S-cytalopram, I was like, okay, screw that. I'm oh, going to yeah. do regular therapy. I'm just going to do a lot of talk therapy, even though I had used my school counselor a lot um, throughout, throughout my school years. Um, mm -hmm. Um, that that was super helpful. And we went over things that had happened when I was a child. Um, I was physically abused um, by my mom's first husband uh, or first boyfriend after my dad. Um, he was he, he was big. He was scary. He was awful. Beat my mom, beat beat us, beat my mom in front of us. Just just awful things, awful things. I was I was the oldest of uh, five kids. What ended up being five kids before I moved out. Um, so I was, I was very responsible, like responsible for my kids. Like those are my kids. Like my mom had always taught me that my siblings are like, you know, like you treat them like your own kids. Mm -hmm. So I loved, <laughs> and so I, was, I would do head counts when they were in fights and like bring them in the bedroom and, you know, do one, two, three. And all, cause there's that many of us, you know, and like in a mm -hmm. stressful situation. And I feel, you know, I'm like eight years old in charge of the rest of the kids, like bring them in there, realizing one's missing you know, the baby, baby, and happen to go in there and get the damn baby. And I mean, yeah. damn, like get the damn, because it's scary, because I have to go in there and get the damn whatever it is, right. and get my sister, so she's not in her bassinet while you guys are fighting and slamming each other's against the wall. Mm -hmm. uh, I got to get that baby in here. So I got the baby in there. And I remember trying to kick out the screen door. So I remember there was a trailer next to ours that was super nice. And she knew what was going on and would always say, like, if you ever need anything, you can come over here. I barely knew them. But I was thinking, if I can kick this screen out, mm -hmm. then I can go over there and I can go get some help. And I couldn't kick the screen out. That's how small I was. Yeah. I physically couldn't get through the screen. So, right. so we had a lot of physical abuse to deal with um, up to 2004. So probably from when I was, they were together from when I was four to eight. So four for those pillar, you know, pillar years. Mm -hmm. that you get pretty pretty shook at um so that was the physical abuse uh that i had experienced and then in four from 2004 to 2005 i experienced experienced uh um a situation of, of sexual abuse which I won't get all into now because i won't be able to get through it right, right now <laughs> but uh yeah. but i also had to you know i also had to deal with that and process that um those mm -hmm. were one of my broken pieces you know that i had to deal with um it was from uh, my mother, my mother's husband. My mom didn't believe me. So, uh, so that was another broken piece that I was left with. That like, not yeah. only does this happen to you, but then 
you know, your mom marries them anyway. That's horrible, dude. Shitty, total shitty. I'm so sorry. No, I, I and it it ended up working out um, as I got like as I was able to get out of that situation, and my dad was able to um, after Katrina, mm-hmm. my dad was able to bring us to Oregon. Um, yeah, where I started a little bit of counseling, um, but during school, mm-hmm. I would skip you know lunches and stuff because I would rather be in there talking to the counselor, getting through my shit. So right, yeah. Yeah, that's heavy. Yeah, so, my so turn. Now that my voice is shaky. Yeah, give <laughs> it to you. My turn. So, um, when I turned nineteen, is when I started engaging in what, what is known in the, in the mental illness world as risk behavior. <laughs> so, um, like I said, I moved out. My grandmother scooped me when I was eighteen. I lived with my grandmother and my grandfather, um, Mina and Uncle Tommy. Uncle Tommy was my grandfather. He wasn't my uncle. Um, <laughs> I just call him Uncle Tommy. Don't. <laughs> I, I, have, a, I have a cousin that I call uncle for no reason. So some people, yeah. are, uh, they're meant to be uncles, maybe. He's just, his name isn't even Tommy. His name is Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you lost me there. Yeah, I don't know why. Anyway, um, okay. so Mina and Uncle Tommy were my grandma and grandpa. I was living right. with them. And I was applying to colleges. Um, they got, if they didn't have internet, okay. They got internet so that I could apply to colleges. And um, that is the cutest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. It was the worst internet in the world, but <laughs> it made they did it. Well. Yeah. They had um, the, sh- the shittiest little computer and internet, but damn it. So uh, I was applying to colleges. Um, they drove me, all three of us crammed, <laughs> crammed in the front of this little Ford truck, pickup truck, all three of us just in, in the one seat of the pickup truck, oh, okay. driving from fucking the bottom of Delaware all the way to the top to have, uh, you know, it's only a two hour drive. <laughs> um, so that I could, in the truck, I'm sure. yeah. So that I could have my interview at the art school I applied to. Uh, I was interviewed by a local artist that I really looked up to. I had no idea that he was going to be the person giving me my interview. Um, and he looked through my portfolio and they did what was called, oh, it's called um, a cold read. Which is basically like the concept is that, you know, if you're an artist showing your work in a gallery, the chances of you being at the gallery there to explain your work to everybody that looks at it, it you know, you're not going to be there to do that. So I'm going to look through your portfolio and you're going to sit there and be quiet as if you're not even here. Because if this was hanging on a wall somewhere, you wouldn't be. For me to so, interpret myself. Right. Which yeah. is, do you know how stressful that is? To just sit in a corner and watch somebody's I- face. As they look through your entire life's work at the time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and um, after he was done, he said, your work is impeccable. And then he said, I'm not supposed to say this until you get your letter, but welcome to DCAD. And oh. yeah, I was the happiest I'd ever been. Blah, 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 blah. I dropped out of art school. It wasn't for me. But that was nice. That was affirming. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um. So that day was great. I got accepted to college. They helped me move in. Um, and Uncle Tommy. Uh, yeah. So I, I lived, that was my first time living away from family, you know, 
on my own. Mm-hmm. I had a, I had doormates, you know, but on my own. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it was art school. All of my friends would go out to the stoop. Um, that's where they went to smoke cigarettes, you know? So <laughs> all my fr- I would go out there on the stoop with them. And then I, at a certain point, it just felt silly going out there and also not smoking. So that's when I started picking up smoking cigarettes. And then, you know, those same friends, they'd be smoking weed. And while I had smoked weed before at this time, I wasn't like a pothead. I'd only done it occasionally. Right. That's when I started smoking weed. And, you know, every weekend, everybody would get fucking sloshed. So I was getting fucking sloshed. And, you know, then everybody started kind of sleeping around. So I just started kind of sleeping around with everybody. And, uh, you know, (laughs) for cigarette like just your first time I started regularly smoking just getting drunk every weekend fucking sleeping around I did all of that shit and then you know that was also when I I that guy that I was smoking those potheads I met up with and then I ended up having a seizure yes yes we talked about that last episode yes yes <laughs> that yes. happens during this time that was risk behavior yes yeah. so yeah uh I did all the all the crazy shit, and then this is when, um, it went big downhill. Um, I just got hit with this depression and this pressure at the time. I, I had gotten maximum scholarship and like uh, government funding. Um, I could have gotten, and I still owed a lot of money, mm-hmm. so I ended up signing for a loan and you know no one was i i was really sheltered as a kid i didn't know what i was signing no yeah, no one was I, there to no no one was there to like help me tell me those situations no they're so yeah it was just those are me. often very screwed up <laughs> yeah so they're just like up. sign here and you'll be admitted to college okay great sounds and great you can deal with it later <laughs> right so um yeah, that was bullshit. And uh, uh, the person who was helping me, um, I had I had like a patron, essentially, someone who was giving me money so that I could go to school. Um, they were like, uh, they were a, a former teacher. Didn't teach at any of the schools I went to, but they were like friends of one of my teachers at my high school. And they said that I had talent. So they, they lived close to where my college was and they would take me out to dinner sometimes and we would talk and they would look at my work and, you know, give me money for groceries and give me money for art supplies and stuff because um, paint was expensive. And um, then I started feeling I wasn't doing well. I wasn't able to turn in assignments. The assignments that I was turning in, I was doing in like the hour before class. I kind of just stopped going to class altogether. I stopped eating. All I would do was I spent all my money on cigarettes and I would just go out of my apartment and I would sit on the sidewalk and I would just smoke cigarettes. I just smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke. And then I'd go upstairs and I'd lay in bed and I'd watch the same Ice Age DVD over and over and over and over and over again. That's all I would do. I barely even drank any water. And I just felt so empty. I I don't even know what triggered it. I don't know if it was the pressure of, it was 
finding out that art school wasn't for me and I needed to drop out. But then if I did that, where was I going to go? I didn't have a degree. What was it going to do? I don't have any experience. I don't know. Like I was so sheltered. I had never had a job before at 19. So many of my friends were getting jobs at 15, 16, you know, their parents were like, you know, it's time for you to get a job. You know, now that you can drive, it's time for you to get a job. My mom wouldn't even let me get my driver's license. Not for any other reason other than that she wanted to have that control over me. So um, I had written a suicide note and it was like midnight on the streets of Wilmington, Delaware. Wilmington is kind of like the city city. Um, like big tall buildings, you know. Um, and I mean, I guess it's, it's as much as the city as Delaware's got. <laughs> it's not like New York or anything, but it's it's a pretty decent city. city. Yeah. And um, I was just out on the streets of Wilmington at midnight, sitting on a bench underneath a lamppost, writing my suicide note, smoking cigarettes. And my, um, my dorm RA just happened to be walking by and she had noticed that I had been acting weird lately. And she was like, what are you, what are you doing on a bench out here at midnight? <laughs> like, what, all by yourself, like, what are you doing? And I was like, you know, just, just hanging out. <laughs> and she was like, do you want to like come over and I was like no no I'm fine and she's like okay good night and then that night I had tried to kill myself and my RA came by saw that I was on the floor called 911 and then the entire fucking school came out and watched me get taken away on a fucking stretcher. And I was like, please, can you just not make this a thing? Please. And then they had a grief counselor talk to me and they're like, how are you? And I'm like, oh, real fucking great. Real fucking great. Now everybody in the school thinks I'm some fucking loony. <laughs> uh, I was so upset. I was so upset at that. And so then. um, so. Yeah. So then I get sent to the hospital, you know, <laughs> um, I get interviewed, um, very blase about the whole thing. Cause it's like the fifth time this has happened. I know all these questions. <laughs> um, and I'm just getting very perturbed at everybody and they're sticking with me, me with things and stuff. And I'm just like very much over it. And, um, uh, so yeah, I get admitted, I get admitted to the psych ward of this hospital, which is only two hallways on like the third fucking floor. And over outside of the window on one of the, on like the south side, if you look out the windows, you can see a lovely little graveyard, which is just wonderful. It's the perfect view for oh a bunch God. of people that just tried to fucking off themselves. Wow. And <laughs> oh, wow, wow. Yeah, real great. <laughs> The stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, so they kept me there for two fucking weeks. Um, everyone in the psych ward was all very old. I was the youngest person there. And I remember I had like, <laughs> I had like this Polish male nurse who um, 
so while I was there, they had me on Ativan, which is a fast acting benzodiazepine, which is like a kind of like an anti-anxiety. It's fast acting and it's short-lived. Um, you're usually supposed to take them for like panic attacks on set, you know? Right. So you take it, it, uh, it, um, it does what it's supposed to do within 30 minutes and then it's gone. Um, and benzos are very addictive. Um, and, uh, I became addicted to, to benzos. <laughs> and so for two weeks, I was on Ativan and you can only take one every six hours. But for something that only lasts 30 minutes when you're addicted to it, you know? So I was always asking my nurse for Ativan. I'm like, I'm freaking out. I need an Ativan. And he's like, you don't need the Ativan. Go take a walk. I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know what a Polish accent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he had like, I'm trying to convey that he had an accent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, you don't need the Ativan. Drink some ice water. Go for a walk. And I'm like, go for a walk. Marco, where? <laughs> like, there's two hallways. I'm going to walk down that hallway and then come back. And then oh. walk down that hallway and come back. <laughs> and he's like, if you drink ice water, it'll constrict your blood vessels, which will calm you down from your panic attack. You don't need the Ativan. And I'm like, fuck it. Just give me the fucking Ativan. I don't want fucking ice water. <laughs> I just, I just remember that guy. He's like, did you have a bowel movement today? Oh my gosh. Y'all love go. hospitals. Yes, Marco. I had a bowel movement today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Also during this time I had my head shaved, you know, in classic uh, mental break fashion, I had buzzed all my hair off. Um, and, you know, they wouldn't let me have. I didn't mean nice. I meant, I meant like, I'm, I understand. Oh yeah, nice. no, I know. <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, so my hair was growing back and like, I was like, I need to shave my head. I don't have like a buzzer. Like, so I, I guess I have to use a razor and they're not gonna let me use a razor. So the nurse was like, I'll just shave your head for you. And I was like, okay, but you really got like my hair's thick. You gotta bear down. You really like, if you're shaving my head with a big, like this is gonna take a while, honey. And she was just like, <laughs> she was holding it by the end. She's like, and I'm, what are you doing? You're not, and she's like, oh, it's just not coming up. Yeah, because you really gotta, you gotta shave a little bit harder than that. So <laughs> she's like, okay, how about you just do it? And I watch. I was like, okay, cool. So I start shaving my head with a Bic mm-hmm. and I get like little cuts here and there. Uh, and yeah. she's like, okay, you're done. You're done. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm done? I'm not done. I'm still shaving my head. I got, you know, my head, is, it's like grown out a good bit. Like you can yeah. see all dark brown on my head. I'm shaving right. it with a Bic. Yeah. I'm Mr. Cleaning this shit. You can't tell me in uh, the middle of it, you're done. <laughs> oh my God, no. I'm not no. trying to cut myself, Diane. <laughs> just, <it's> me. <laughs> I'm just trying to shave my head. And she's like, no, you're done. This is too much. I don't like this. You're done. So she, she I had razor like streaks in my hairline still. Uh. I had only did the back of my neck. And like halfway up, you know, <laughs> I was like, Diane, this is going to be Come like on. <laughs> Come on. And let me walk around this psych ward looking like an actual Looney Tune. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. God. Mm. So um, I also had a roommate that was a really, 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 really old lady who had like sleep apnea. I got no sleep. They had me so medicated. And every time I asked to talk to my doctor, they were like, mm, he can't see you. I'm like, where the, f- 
because I can't leave until I talk to the doctor. For that was the reason, real. For... That was the reason why I was there for two weeks. When I'm an adult, I can like excuse myself whenever I want. Yeah. But because yeah. I was a voluntary admission, I had to stay until I got um, evaluated by the doctor to tell me that I was safe to go. I know all the things to say, to say that I'm safe to go, you know? Right. Right. Um, they just wouldn't let me talk to my fucking doctor. They're like, oh, he's only available on Saturdays. Okay, it's Saturday. Can I talk to my doctor? Yeah. Mm, sorry, he's not available this Saturday. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so my patron ended up visiting me while I was in the psych ward, which was really embarrassing to me. And also some other people came to visit me. Um, and they were all just very like, hi, how are you doing? Are you okay? And I was just, I could, like, I couldn't. I couldn't deal with that. <laughs> I just didn't, like, I didn't want to be patronized. This isn't how I want to be spoken to. I understand where I am. I understand what I tried to do. And you speaking to me like that isn't making me feel any better. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, I probably would have rather not had any visitors at all. And um, my patron, uh, when she visited me, she was... I, I expressed my desire not to go back to art school because it, it was just not good for me mentally. I wasn't, I wasn't thriving. I wasn't doing good. It was beating yeah. me down and I felt defeated. And um, she was very upset at that because she like invested in my art education and uh, she spent a lot of money and so she was very upset and expressed how upset she was that I wasn't going back. And then immediately started um, requesting that I pay, pay her back, like while I was in the hospital. Oh my God. And I was like, I, I was already stressed Sorry, out what? over the, the loans that I like, I owe $14,000 to the government. And then I owe you money and you want me to start paying. I don't even have a job. I'm still in the hospital. Like, wow, that's, that's low. So yeah, I'm the pressure that I'm facing is immense. And um, I get out and I go back to art school and I try to make up the work that I missed for the two weeks that I was admitted. And they tell me that I've missed too much and I can't make it up. And they won't, they wouldn't give me any extensions. They wouldn't cut me any breaks, you know? <laughs> they were just like, you're, you gotta be off campus. We're kicking you out. You can't make up this work, so you gotta leave. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you literally saw me like, okay. <laughs> okay, I tried to kill myself on your dorms, like on your property. You know, one of your RAs like found me unconscious on my dorm floor. Uh, maybe let me finish my homework. <laughs> um, so yeah, so then I was homeless. Oh, so sorry, though. Because awful. my grandparents couldn't take me back in, and um, then I lived with my uh, high school English teacher for a few months. We were friends at the time. She would see me often, and I ended up moving in with her, and. Um, that's when, you know, I start, finally started to heal, I guess. It took a really long time. That all happened when I was 19. Yeah. Like, I, I moved into 
into the dorms, tried to kill myself, got admitted, got kicked out, moved in with my high school English teacher all within the same year that I was 19 years old. And then I got a job. I started working. She helped me out. Like she taught me things that I was too sheltered and didn't find out before. She helped me find therapy and helped me with good coping skills, which uh, are the most important thing mm-hmm. in the world. <laughs> that was what that was well, the problem was before. Have. Yeah, I didn't have good coping skills, so I tried to kill myself because I didn't know how to cope. You got to learn how to cope. Yeah, like if 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 nothing, just go to therapy to learn good coping skills. If that's the only thing you learn, I think it is probably the most important thing. Hundred percent. If you don't know how to cope, what are you going to do? You're just going to stew in it. Yeah. You're going to stew in it and stew in it. And it's going to get so bad. It's going to break you. You got to cope. <laughs> find a way to cope. Yeah, absolutely. If, and it's got to be, it's got to be something healthy. It can't be like getting blackout drunk every night. <laughs> that's right. not coping. Healthy, you know? coping skills. <laughs> healthy coping skills. And those yes. are taught. And that's why you have to go to people that know them so they can teach you these things. Because those are often never taught. Can it please, can we please learn how to do taxes and also learn coping skills in like public school? For real. Like, can that just be thrown into the curriculum? Yeah. (laughs) Can we prioritize that somewhere? Please. Absolutely. God. Is there another part for you? Yeah. Yeah, I got, I I got a little bit more. Yeah. Got a little something extra for me? Yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of, I did a lot of therapy throughout school. I did a lot of uh, my, my, uh, as well, my elementary school teacher I ended up telling her what was going on um and she she did she you know called the cops and I realized uh when I told her what was going on I knew what was going to happen when I told her I was very I was very taught not to talk to cops uh that they're they're bad people like you don't trust them those people you know so I was able to talk to my counselor and my counselor really got the ball rolling um for us to get out of that situation um at least for the time being mm-hmm. uh, yeah so so i so i had a, a positive experience with therapy from that from as a child mm-hmm. uh, so i so i kind of hung on to that and like even though i would go back and go and i'd hear sometimes you hear a lot of the same things or when you restart with a counselor you have to start over you have to explain yeah. everything all yes. over and that is yes. one of the hardest parts of of seeking help and i think it's a, it's a, a big deterrent of people going back to therapy i just want to say that though that is like super annoying and super hard it is also a really good way to like desensitize yourself to your own trauma yeah. in a way and like this is one of the things that I learned in cro- uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Like how, remember how I said, I don't remember anything about my childhood. Like I remember two things. Um, right. My therapist said that all memory is good. All memory is good. Even if you remember the bad things. And one, one of the things that I had to do, like one of my homeworks for cro- cognitive behavioral therapy was rewriting my traumatic experiences over and over again in the most vivid detail that I could remember them. Wow. That my sexual, my seven year sexual assault, what I could remember of it, the smell, the temperature of the room, like everything, every sensation that I could remember, anything in the room, paintings on the wall, what color was the carpet, 
Right. You know, what right. did he say? Yeah. You know, what did his voice sound like? Like disgusting, horrible things that happened to me. Write it down in as much as you could remember because that memory, even though it's bad, your brain is made to remember. You're supposed to remember that. That's a healthy brain, you know? And it's not, we're trying to get to a point where that doesn't trigger you anymore. It's something that happened and it's very sad, but you, a healthy brain will remember it. And if you write it over and over again and reread it to yourself in your own words and yeah. tell five different therapists about it yeah. over and over again, and then talk on your podcast about it, you know, yeah, you've been talking about it for 10 years now. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. I was sexually right. assaulted for seven years. What? Yeah. yeah. My mom beat the fucking shit out of me. Shut my head in an oven. Okay. Like I'm yeah. 30 years old now. I'm fine. Like yeah. that shit hurts and it did hurt and it's hard, but I'm 30 now. And I thought, you know, it, it's fine. It's fine. I'm you're, good. Yeah. Your, your life is yours now. Right. Yours. Yeah. It get it gets better. And I think that like those, those hard parts and the things that keep people away or like after you have one hard session will like right. make them not want to come back. Those right. are the things where you really got to bear down. Yeah. Because, do right. You just got to, you got to be familiarized with it, desensitize yeah. yourself to it. And then that's when you can start to, you know, learn to cope over the humps. Yeah. I can see that. I can see, I can see that as, I, like while that was frustrating as hell to have to start over and oh, be like yeah. I have to go through all of this horrible things all over again uh, to this new person so that that did deter me through high school of of going back and through my my irrational decisions and uh, mm. a lot of my and I'll I'll call it what it what it was it was cheating I I was a mess I was a hot mess I was chasing the person chasing whoever was giving me love and uh, it was it was awful. It was very awful. I, uh, you know, you what? Uh, I've been there too. I mean, it's it's you. It's it's awful, and it's it's a guilt that you have to live with with the rest of your life, knowing that you screwed people over like that. Um, so that was part of my 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 irrational decisions. Um, that later made a lot of sense. Um, actually, I was. I, I'm gonna go ahead and said I it was my. It was at the trans tape event in Maryland that I realized that things were not as figured out as I thought they were. And sometimes, oh. you know, I, I, I had, after I met Kayla in 2016, I moved to Tennessee. I started over. I got a, a you know, a really good positive life going there. Kayla got like, talked to me about getting back on therapy and getting back on medicine. And I found Cytalopram, the opposite of S Cytalopram. Mm -hmm. It was very helpful for me. It really did really helps me a lot still. Um, but it was after it was after this event, I was in front of like, a lot of these people that I didn't hadn't met yet. It wasn't I, I, I had never been to a big event like that before. I'd never been in front of the lights like that before. Uh, Bo was there the next day. So I barely missed yeah. Bo. Bo was there the next day. But um, I was actually the very first person to go up and, and get and try and like get started and get things rolling. And um, I, I don't even think it was the experience. I think everyone there was awesome. Um, I think it was just me internally reaching this peak of like all this moment, all this hard work had reached up, had worked like up to this moment, it seemed. Um, and I finished my video. I did great. Apparently, it didn't even seem like I was freaking out. But in the moment, I was 
literally having the biggest panic attack of my life. And I like raced off when my video was done. And um, I was like, you know, you got everything you need from me because like I was shaking so badly. And I like left and I like went around this corner to where I knew that they couldn't see me. Like I knew mm -hmm. Kai couldn't find me over there. Like I was yeah. by myself and I just started crying. I was just like hysterically started crying. It was a total mess. It was totally awful. Totally awful. I was, I, and I started to realize like I, I, all these racing thoughts, like you just like, you just bought, like, I thought I killed, I thought I just ruined it. You know, I thought yeah. it was awful. I had no clue. Couldn't tell you what I said the whole time. I didn't know yeah. edits came back. What right. the fuck my video looked like. <laughs> the one many, the, the tutorials that many of you guys have watched, didn't even know that that, those, you know, that stuff was going on. Mm -hmm. That, that was, that was crazy. And I was sitting there on the phone with Kayla and my Nana. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can see how this like rush of emotion, I don't know why, it was just like everything that I'd, like all my trauma, like all my PTSD, like, I don't know what happened. Something, something crazy, like wild, I've never experienced it that strong before. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember thinking, I drove, and I remember thinking, I need to get straight home. I need to get home, I need to go home right now. And Kai mm -hmm. was like, it's late, like you can't, like I, I, I don't wanna like just let you drive home. And I was like, Kai, I need to drive home. I need to get to Kayla. Like, mm -hmm. like you don't understand. Like, I gotta, yeah. I gotta get to Kayla right now. Yeah, right now. And I, he probably thought that I was like mentally ill, and I was like a basket case. And like, we had worked together before, but I had never met him, and that was the first time I had ever met him. Oh. So I was like, so there goes that connection. Like, whatever. Like that was cool for the time. Like whatever. Yeah. You know, we'll call it good. Um, but I raced home came home I came straight in the back of this building and I sat right freaking there and I cried my eyeballs out and my Nana came over and my mom was there or my or Kayla Kayla came in the building with me and my Nana came over uh -huh. uh, and she gave she was talking me through like asking me what had happened and how I was feeling and my Nana knew exactly kind of what had happened um just because of from her personal experience um it was it was a bipolar episode like, oh, yeah. like a, it was it was a a slowly increasing over a long amount of time that I thought I was managing enough and I thought was just too much ended up being a lot more than I had thought so I came home from the Transape event I, I I proposed to Kayla bawling my eyeballs out right there right in the middle of this crazy freaking episode oh my god that I was about to check myself into this mental place and I was like man I, I was just bawling my eyes out and then I was like great now it looks like this freaking proposal like I didn't even mean it like it <laughs> looks like I was like part of this episode that I didn't mean or whatever and I was like if everything else doesn't the whole point was because the second I got home like I instantly I like I was just just being with Kayla so much I was just like I was so happy to be there just like in her arms and I was just like I had this whole thing I had this citywide scavenger hunt planned and I said, fuck it, and asked her to marry me and was like, I need to check myself in. I'm really scared, but like, we've been dating for like five years. <laughs> so like, mm -hmm. so I, like in this moment, I'm like the most broken I'll ever be. And if you can love me through this, then I'll, I'll like, we'll be like, then like that would mean the world to me. <laughs> so, uh, cry. Um, oh. Aaron, I heard oh. your voice crack oh. and now I'm crying. Oh. <laughs> 
So, and that's so beautiful. Kayla so, is your person. So you needed her to regulate your emotions at that time. I totally understand that. She was my person and I wanted to I, I wanted that to always be there. And she she immediately said yes. Her hair was like in a towel. Oh my and, god. Uh, and, and I was about to check myself into a freaking mental institution. <laughs> you know, so it was just it was crazy. But um I checked myself in. I had some really tough conversations. Seemed like everybody else was very desensitized to therapy because I had Kayla to look forward to coming home to and I had a family I could see my family I could see you know I had already got this far on the ladder the end of the tunnel I also had the same experience of like I can't get to that many 18 is too far away I can't fucking do that yeah that's too far like yeah. I want to take this in my own hands now like I can already make better decisions than me so I already experienced that so um so I'd already come through the tunnel I most way through the tunnel and I I was just but being I, I got diagnosed as bipolar mm -hmm. and I was like that fucking blows okay so at this point I'm like I did the therapy I did the the walkthrough therapy for the sexual abuse where you like close your eyes and you talk through it very vividly for mm -hmm. some people that doesn't work for some people very well for me somehow it worked maybe it was my connection with my therapist that made it work well um so I was able to work through that um I had been taking regular anti-anxiety medicine so I was getting my anxiety more under control and I was obviously I came out as trans and I was battling my gender dysphoria and like trying to make something of my life make something of this like shitty circumstance what at the time being trans seemed like you know it's like a shitty circumstance trying to make something out of it and then of course I'm like punched in the face with the polar bear disease yeah. And I'm like, fuck you, fuck this. That's so that fucking sucks. So I sat there and dropped a bunch of F bombs for a long time in therapy. And just like they would talk about things where we would it just just really good things. I learned a lot through through that and I got out a couple, I think it was one week later, two weeks later, and was feeling a lot better. I had started some bipolar medication and because of my nana doing the research of her 20 years experience with bipolar disease, she had already tried so many medicines with over the, the, the years of her life. And I got to, they said, that's, that's actually really good because we can take what your name is on now and statistically, biologically, it should have a better chance with you. Right. We'll start. That's just hereditary. Exactly. Right. So we'll start with what she's on and it worked instantly. So awesome. my Nana had done so much research, like so all her horrible experiences over the years, mm -hmm. I literally cut those years out of my life. Right. Because I got to jump on the end. So that was really, that was really healing as well. Um, that's awesome. That's, and that was 20, gosh, I'm horrible with years. How long ago was Marilyn? Oh, fuck. I don't know, like tw 2019? Yeah. So that's, that's how long ago that was. And I have had more time to process. That was a long time ago. Yeah, a long time to process. Oh a little more being bipolar. It still is still is on the forefront. I'm still learning a lot about it. And yeah. uh, a lot about to, like, I'm still learning how to, like, read my body and how, like, like to feel things because I'm so desensitized to my body. So 
going mm-hmm. in there and listening is like, whoa, I was yeah. going to pass that on my enemy. You don't want to go in there and listen to all those signals. Those are a lot of fucking signals. Right. <laughs> They're fast. Yeah. I mean, I think very fast and, you know, it's just you know personality thing. But I did, I did learn a lot through therapy as well. Um, and it, it helped. It helped as, yeah. as well as my medication. My, my thing with getting diagnosed with uh, PTSD was I I started feeling like this kind of guilt. Like in my mind, PTSD was something that like you got when you came home from war, you know? Like the soldiers, people got shot at. People who actually like survived getting murdered. (laughs) Those were the people that got PTSD. Not some kid that just got spanked by their mom right i'm i'm belittling my own situation on purpose like it's not because a lot of other people do that's what they say yeah yeah i I was like i was just some kid that was like overly disciplined i it can't be ptsd like i don't have post-traumatic stress disorder you know like that seems wild to me and um you know it's it took a lot to understand that like yeah no your diagnosis is valid (laughs) this is these are the things that you're experiencing because of you, you you face trauma very <laughs> traumatic yeah. traumatic stress so yeah. now like when i was talking about the stress that i was under that's traumatic stress <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's a thing Absolutely. right and now your brain is different yeah because it, it was preparing for more traumatic stress <laughs> yeah and that's- um so after <laughs> After that, so I wasn't done. And then when I turned 24, I moved in with my biological dad, who's the worst person on the face of the planet, also abused me, but I was like a grown adult and I was just scared to leave. And I didn't, like, he took all of my resources and means away from me and controlled everything about my life. So there was no, nothing I could do. I ended up escaping through like some shit with my, um, uh, my, math tutor club members which was actually lgbt club Mm -hmm. he he was like a huge bigot um but uh after i got back to delaware from that hellhole i got a job (laughs) and it was like it was like my first like lasting job i had been like off and on a disability because of you know, the PTSD and I was just having a hard time. I would break down randomly because um, I, I wasn't in a good situation. Uh, I finally started building up my support network. I, when I was 17, I, um, I went into drama and I ended up auditioning at a local playhouse where I met a guy named Bill who had two daughters that were 12 and 10 at the time. And he saw that I was a kid that needed help. So he like adopted me mm-hmm. and he meant it because he's still my dad. You know, we talk every day, basically. Awesome. Yeah. He's still my dad. And he's been like my biggest supporter through like ever since I was 17, he's been in my life now longer than he hasn't been. And hell yeah. Yeah. I told him that the other day and he was like, that's such a great way to think about it. Absolutely. Um, and any, just, that's awesome. That's awesome. And my support network kind of like started with him. And that's when I started 
to learn more about like um neutrality uh like uh not self-love but self-neutrality you know I had so much self-hatred everything you know everything I did was bad to me but you know like I couldn't there was nothing I could do right um you know that was my my brain telling me that uh just lies and bullshit um and you know he has a lot of wisdom and I've, I've just learned so much from him and he, he taught me neutrality and like, okay, like it's not great. I could do better. It's not garbage. <laughs> like, okay. I'm, I'm not. That's an incredible to... step though. Yeah. That's I'm a not... nice in between step. I, I like... know it's really good. It's a good, it's a good place to be. Like I'm not the most attractive person in the world, but I'm not the most unattractive person in the world and you know my body's pretty good at like I it's an able body I'm thankful that I can breathe despite my asthma I'm thankful that my legs can move I'm thankful that my arms can move you know I have the ability to speak things that I need these are all like neutral statements about my body there are things that are just true yeah you know I am my body is able. I am able right. to hear people talk to me. I'm thankful for that. I'm able to see Absolutely. the shows that I like to watch. I'm thankful for that. And from that, you're building the new neural pathways, like I talked about. Like you, that's that's that self-deprecating humor that like I I'm garbage. I'm like I eat shit. Like that kind of that's you're literally building those neural pathways it seems like a joke but the more you do it you're building that neural pathway and you are making yourself believe those things and sometimes when you already believe those horrible things about yourself going straight to self-love seems silly because you already hate yourself so you're looking in the mirror saying you're beautiful i love you and you don't believe it so it's like it's dumb i know i've done it (laughs) yeah like i left sticky notes on the side of my mirror that's like you can do anything. You're beautiful. And I'm like, it's fucking candy ass garbage. You know, like I hate myself. This isn't working. It's the shift to neutrality that really helps. Neutrality. Wow. That is really, once you build that pathway, then the positive things aren't so silly because you don't hate yourself anymore. You're just neutral. And from neutral, it's easy to go over there. You know, it's one less giant leap. Dip your toe over there. Yeah. Just dip your little toe in the water. Just be neutral about it. That was a huge, that was a huge thing that I learned from him and his daughters ended up being a huge part of my support system. His daughter's friends ended up being a huge part of my support system. They were 12 and 10 when I was 17, but now they're drinking age. (laughs) And it's, it's been wild going from a kind of like, uh, kind of like, I know your father your father and I are close, but I'm not close with you because you guys were just, right. I was 17 and you were 12. Right, so it was right. weird. Like, right. We didn't hang out, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then they started smoking weed and it was, just, it was like weird for me. Cause I'm like, I know your father and I'm smoking <laughs> weed with you guys. And I feel like when you smoke weed, with a family member, it's an unlock. It is an unlock. <laughs> so um, they just kind of eventually became my family and yeah their voice ended up replacing my negative self-talk they would also do a thing where like I would say sorry all the time or whatever or like I would I would apologize for something dumb like 
like you like I didn't need to apologize for and they'd oh, be yeah. like I know my name <laughs> they'd be like you know like or I I'd show up like uh a little bit too late and I didn't I didn't tell them that I was going to be whatever. <laughs> and I'd show up and I'd be like I'm sorry I'm so late like I had to get gas or whatever and they're like oh you're sorry you're sorry that you didn't text us because you were driving and that was the safe thing to do, you dummy. Like, don't yeah, be sorry, yeah. dummy. And they're like, yeah. they're, they're like loving insults, I like to call right. them. Like, right. they're not actually insults, but they'd be like, fucking dummy. Yeah. <laughs> of course I love you, dummy. You know, like that kind of yeah, stuff. So of that, their voice, like that voice is what replaced my negative self-talk. That's because amazing. like my, my inside voice would be like, look at this fucking painting or a piece of garbage but then like i'd hear my dad's voice and he'd be like what the fuck dummy like this is yeah yeah i love this and then like yeah you know what so that's that's like kind of how i i helped i helped myself like uh create create these new pathways and learn how to self-love is by knowing and believing that the people around me love me and believing the things that they say. And then taking those little sound bites that I hear from them every day that I believe, that they believe is true. Like when they see a drawing of mine and they say, oh my God, that's the most beautiful thing in the world. I am choosing to believe that they are telling me the truth. So I they're not- real talk, Bo is actually an amazing artist. He does all kinds of crazy shit. Stop. He'll be like doodling during meetings and shit, and then showing them, uh, showing us those doodles. And I'm like, damn, he literally sculpts things. He sculpts things. Show them your sculpture. Hey, look at this thing. <laughs> so that's what Bo's talking about when he's talking about his art skills. Well, he's you know, you stare at something for so long and you end up hating it. Seeing the new shit he comes up with, seriously, every time. But it's it's just um, that was something that was super helpful for me. Like, because you can, you can think all day that like people are lying or like, oh, they're just being nice. Like they don't actually like me or they all secretly hate me or something. I am choosing not to believe that. I'm choosing to not even consider that as an option. Right. I'm choosing to believe that the people who associate themselves with me choose to do so because they find me enjoyable. And I'm choosing to believe that when they give me a compliment, that is what they truly believe in, that they're being honest with me. Right. And if that's true, then the things that I tell myself when I say, like, oh, that's stupid. Your hair looks dumb. Your, those glasses are dumb. When literally everybody else that I know is gassing me the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. the ratio doesn't add up here, Bo. You're obviously dumb. You obviously look great, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's kind, of, that's kind of really what helped me tip uh, tip my mindset in the right direction is surrounding myself with a wonderful support system and people that I love me and that I trust to love me. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's because those good people really do so much just by being decent human beings. Literally, it's crazy what being a decent human being, how healing that can be for someone that has been treated by, treated like garbage by people that should have not treated them like garbage. Yeah. Uh, and and that's 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 it right there. Those people are every my nana and my and Kayla. Those are my you know. Those are those people that I keep the closest. And that's- it's almost, I feel like it's almost a bigger gesture for someone who who's like you know like my mom was supposed to be that person for me. 
right. She was my, she gave birth to me. That was supposed to be her job, but she wasn't. But here comes my adopted dad. No relation whatsoever. Two kids of his own, his own family. And he knows that I need him, decides to be that person and then learns that he actually loves me and he enjoys my company. And he doesn't have to be here. He doesn't have to be here 17 years later, you know? But he is. He just messaged me today, sent me two TikToks. He messages me every day. Every time he sees, like, there's this band that we listen to, and there's this other TikTok that we like, and we're always sending him back and forth. I don't think we never go more than a day without talking to each other. And he doesn't have to be there, but he is. And that's what makes me feel so good. Because if someone that amazing, like, that truly good, pure, pure, that that awesome person chooses to talk to me every day i must be i must be pretty i must be a cool person to be around i mean (laughs) yeah absolutely and that's why i'm confident now because i mean you can't tell me shit my dad wants to talk to me every day i don't care what anybody else says he's the coolest person in the world and he wants to talk to me every day so exactly Exactly. i'm the coolest person in the world that's how it works (laughs) yeah that's amazing dude that's how that's how you heal that's that's, that's I'm so done. healed. My inner child is thriving, honestly. Like, as you can see, <laughs> I just do whatever the fuck I want now. And my inner child is just as giddy as he could be. <laughs> exactly. Literally exactly same. Exactly same. And, and um, it does get better. It really does. Yeah. Because you want turning 18 and getting through some tough, even after you turn 18, you can go through some tough shit. But once you really start to, there, there is light on the other side. There really is, is. Uh, you never really know what is, it's cliche as fuck. And it's sometimes it sucks hearing that because it doesn't change anything right now. But right. if you are stuck in a situation that you can't get out of, I genuinely, genuinely believe that planning for when you are able to get out of that situation and prepping yourself in any way is something to hold on to and something positive to even even if it's just a dream at that moment Mm -hmm. to think about what that might actually look like and what it might look like to have your life in your own hands and your decisions in your own hands and the people that you surround yourself with you put there by choice because they earn those places cultivating your own garden that's it that's the ticket we have so much to cover you guys don't even know obviously we can't get into all those deep heavy things in one hour two hours or even three hours so that was a long episode yeah if you're still listening to this we we fucking love you right now this is a heavy um, one (laughs) this is yeah this is heavy i'm i i would have had to pause this probably halfway through and finish another day so if you're still if you're watching this or listening to this we love you and we appreciate you and we want you to know that it does get better and uh with you in these steps because we're still we're still learning how to make our lives even better and make our inner child even more healed yeah every day good so yeah so we're gonna spark up and get some sleep and uh tune in next week for the next episode hooray hooray yeah all right bye bye guys